So the champ, you can play the music to it. I guess it's kind of nice. But the the champions were uh, were were Hunter Hunter and Tim. They won the uh, the, the first uh, the first cha annual championship. back to Genesis 37 this morning. We're doing a series on the life of Joseph. It's amazing that those uh, words that we just sang came from the life of, of uh, Job, of all people. And uh, if you think of, uh, of Job's life, you wouldn't think that, that, that on his mind it would be 
a positive process that God was putting him through, but yet God was. Uh, God was putting him through a process through which he would be uh, refined and, and uh, through which he would be strengthened to, to be even more of a man of, of righteousness. And what we're going to talk about today is not meant in any way is the, the furthest from my heart would be to make light of, of any hurt that anybody has gone through or is currently going through. Uh, the Bible says that the heart of man is, is deceitful and desperately wicked. And you know, by, by, by virtue of that, uh, people can do some terrible things to other people. And you know, when you hear some of the, the horrible abuses that people have, have suffered at the hands of others, um, it makes you realize, if you haven't been through something like that, how, <laughs> how good you've had in your life. And then you, your heart just goes out to just think, you know, how could, how could people be so callous and so indifferent that they would be so abusive to another human being? Uh, especially to a, to, a, to a child or, 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 or a man, to, to, a, to a woman. Uh, those are some of the, you know, about the lowest actions that you could think of, the abuse of a child or, or the, the abuse of, mis, the, the, uh, the misusing uh, of a man, of, of a woman. And, you know, in a crowd this size, there's no doubt about it uh, that, you know, some of you have been through some very difficult things. And some things that, even if they come to mind this morning, um, they're grievous. They're, they're, they're hard to bear. They're hard to remember. Um, and they're, 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 they're wounds still. The thing it is with, with a wound, though, you know, the Bible says that, that, that Jesus comes with healing in his wings. And God is the great physician. And a wound will hurt for a while, but you know, if a wound continues to fester and to hurt for weeks, onto months, onto years, then you have to be concerned about the fact that healing has not come to that yet. And that maybe we haven't let the physician bring healing to that. And in the life of Joseph, I'll tell you, um, if you've been through, through some rejection, if you've been through some some, some pain, if you've been through some, some, uh, some ordeals in your life that are hard to remember, I, I, I can guarantee you, uh, Joseph could sympathize and empathize with you. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit, uh, the second part of, of Joseph here. And the title I'm giving to it, to the message, is Joseph from Pampered Boy to the Pit of Breaking. From pampered boy to the, to the pit of breaking. Now, Joseph's one of these guys that it's hard to see him ever doing wrong in his life. And there's some dispute even about the first chapter here that we're going to look at, chapter 37. There's some dispute even as to how to see, you know, Joseph in, the, in this passage. Um, I tend to look at it this way. I've never met a, a coddled child that that didn't adversely affect in some way, at some level. And we know, we know that, that Joseph was openly favored by his dad. And when you're openly favored as a child amongst so many children, 
there's going to be manifestations of that and it is going to affect a child and Joseph we may like to think of Joseph as not having a sin nature but he did and there's none righteous no not one uh, even Daniel and I can't find it with Daniel like it's not recorded with Daniel I can't find fault with Daniel uh, but you know he, he, he wasn't Jesus Joseph, we're going to have one message where, where we see him as a type of Jesus, but, you know, a type or a figure is not meant to stand on all four legs. Uh, Joseph still falls short. And uh, Jesus is the only one. Even the Father would say, you know, this is my beloved Son in whom I am 100% pleased the whole way. And that's why he could be, you know, our substitute. With that having been said, I mean, Joseph's a great example uh, you know, Enoch is said to be the example of walking, the walk of faith. Noah shows us the perseverance of faith. Abraham shows the obedience of faith. Isaac shows the power of faith. Jacob shows the discipline of faith. And along these lines, we could probably say that Joseph shows the victory or the triumph of faith. The triumph of faith. Because Joseph went through, some, went through some things that we look at, humanly speaking, and we say that those should have defeated Joseph. Even a man of great faith should have floundered in the face of these injustices. But you know, we see Joseph triumphing in the end because of the enduring faith, the, the, the victorious faith that he had in his God. And we're going to look along the way in this series at, at some more specific points, which could have been, you know, th th those could have gone a, 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 a drastically different direction than what they went. If, if, if Joseph hadn't been victorious in his faith at that moment, everything would have changed from that point forward. And, uh, but you know, uh, from what we're going to see here in, 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 in chapter 37, um, uh, I think that Joseph had some purging that needed to be done in his life. And I think like with many young people, I think like with many young people, you know, they, 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 they grow up being pretty self-centered. That's a default setting for every child, self-centeredness. Did you notice that yet? <laughs> and if left unchecked, that self-centeredness just becomes, you know, bigger and really more hideous over time. We might be able to, we might be able to, if we get creative, to say, you know, that that, that brightiness is maybe almost cute in a little child. But you know when the brightiness comes fully manifested and fully developed in a 17-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old or a 28-year-old? It's not so cute anymore, is it? And we got a whole bunch of them in our country right now. It's not cute, is it? It becomes pretty hideous, the full-fledged manifestation of that thing. And, uh, but God's gracious to work in lives. He knows the name of every young person. He has a great plan for them. Part of that plan is going to include taking them to that place of surrender. Leading them to that place of surrender. And I can tell you, for as highly as we think of Joseph, and I think of him, one of the, I mean, when I think of an example to give to my sons, one of, the, one of the quickest ones I go to after Jesus is Joseph. But you know, Joseph had to, had to be brought to that place of surrender, I believe, for him to be used 
and the way that he was used, like it says in, in chapter 50, to, to save many alive. Because I think at one point, you know, Joseph was pretty much just concerned about himself. Uh, he was just concerned about, you know, the fact that he had pretty much been the center of the universe there in his setting. And his dad had made him that. And we're all the same that way. I mean, we're all have left our own devices. We are left at looking ourselves at ourselves as a center of, of the universe and saving ourselves alive. In order to think of saving others alive, we have to do what? Lift up our eyes and see them. <laughs> Which is what Jesus taught us. And uh, and so there was some there was some there was some purging that had to be done in Joseph's life. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But at a certain point, moving forward, Joseph never complained and he never compromised that we can see. But God had to first do a work uh, in his life. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, that you'd open it up to us as only you can. And that you would help us, Lord, to see how important it is to come to that point of surrender. And to even surrender daily so that you can be used for a greater cause beyond ourselves. And I pray that you'd help us see this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in chapter 37, and we looked a little bit at this last week, but let's uh, look at it more closely. It says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, with his brothers. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph uh, uh, brought unto his father the evil report. So there was a number of things uh, there in Jacob's life that, that, that uh, the, the seeds of disintegration were sown in the family that led to, uh, to a pretty dysfunctional setting here. Verse number three, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. And if he had held in his heart you know, that, that, that enjoyment of his son, that could have maybe not been as, as destructive, but he made it very evident. He made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more because it was evident than all his brethren, they hated him. That wasn't right for them to do that. It wasn't right, but yet it was a human uh, result of, of, of the setting here and the seeds that, that, that Jacob had, had sown, even though it was their choice as well. They're, they're responsible for God. We see that in the narrative. So they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. You ever had somebody, you know, you just you, you despise them in their heart and you couldn't bring yourself to speak uh, peaceably unto them? They had a problem. And if that's the case with you, you have a, a problem as well. Um, and Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren. They hated him yet the more, yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray ye, this dream which I have dreamed. Now, probably Joseph should have considered uh, at that moment that he didn't really have that, that great of a relationship. Maybe he probably didn't have the type of relationship where this would be well received, right? And he had been, he was a, he was a, a very uh, uh, chosen of the Lord for specific purposes. We know that. Um, and God was giving him some premonition of those things. But we have an example of another place in the scripture that maybe is a better example of how that should be handled, at least initially. Remember Mary, Mary was, was favored among women, right? And Mary was brought a very uh, specific message by God that, to, the, to, the, to the fact that she was favored among women. But what did Mary do with that? She pondered those things, what? In her heart. She just pondered those things. Okay, like, what, what are the implications of this? God wants to use me in this way? 
I, I just want, I'm just a servant. I just want to be the Lord's handmaid. That's all I want. And she just pondered these things in her heart. And it made her the perfect, you know, humble candidate to be the, the earthly mother of Jesus Christ. And I think, I think Joseph was, was missing some of the maturity that we see uh, in Mary and, and when, when, he, when he heard these things that he was favored. And so he goes before his brothers and, and he says, you know, hey guys, I want you to hear this dream that I had. You're going to love it. For behold, there were, uh, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep. Now probably the, one of the first things the brother was thinking was, well, you usually don't stick around even to work with us that long. <laughs> Remember, they're out there working and Joseph was sent out to check up on them and bring a word back to dad, right? So they're probably thinking, oh, you're sheep? I mean, when are you even out there working in the field? Uh, but then he goes on to say, you know, my sheep stayed nice and strong and your sheep had to, had to bow down uh, to, to mine. And uh, his brethren said to him, shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And so we have to think about that with our words. Do we have dreams? Yes. Is it always good to share them? Maybe not. Maybe we need to, to consider what type of relationship we have with a person and, and what's going to be conducive to, to, to tying some heartstrings back together there. Uh, do we have the type of, of, of relationship where we can just say these things in our mind or our heart or should we just ponder those for the moment? And uh, it seemed that one of the things that, 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 that Joseph failed in is that he, he talked too much. And self-centered people do one of two things. Self-centered people, either when they are cheerfully addressed by somebody else, they just grunt in response because they're too self-centered to really give an intelligent answer. Or self-centered people, when you give them the platform, you'll never get another word in edgewise. Because they'll talk the whole time, right? And there's kind of two extremes in our hearts that tend to take us there. But, you know, uh, words are meant for conversations, for conversations. And it doesn't seem like Joseph was that interested in having a conversation with his brother. He was just interested in sharing this dream that he had, right, where they were bowing down uh, uh, to him. And so, uh, verse number 9, and again, his brothers were, were at fault. We're not trying to minimize that. And it says he dreamed yet another dream. And he evidently didn't learn too fast from their attitude the first time. Either that or he kind of enjoyed pushing their buttons. I'm not sure. Again, you know, I, I, it's hard to read attitudes in here. I'm just reading the narrative and drawing some, some conclusions. But behold, our dream a dream uh, more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. His father rebuked him and said unto him, uh, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? And certainly Joseph was his favorite here up to a point. <laughs> because, you know, uh, dad didn't like to be told either that he was going to be bowing down uh, and uh, what that represented. And uh, so it says in verse 11, And his brethren envied him, for his father uh, observed the saying. And, and his brethren went to feed the father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Doth not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come! I will send thee unto them. And he said, Here am I. And so it does seem like there, there's some, some he, he does have respect for his dad here. He's, he's, he's willingly obedient. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. Now this is probably unwise of, of Jacob at this point, because he, 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 he should have been aware enough, if he wasn't, 
If he wasn't aware of how, how dysfunctional the, the, the relationship was here between Joseph and his brothers, then he's failing in that regard because he should be aware of it. If he is aware, is this really a good idea? His, his brothers are out there doing hard work on the, 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 the backside of this, this, uh, this property, uh, this location, somewhere out there. And, uh, and, and, and Joseph's at home, and he's being sent out to them once again to bring a report back uh, to dad. And uh, he's not setting Joseph up for, for success, uh, it doesn't seem like, in this regard. Then in verse 15 it says, And a certain man found him, behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man asking him, saying, What seekest thou? He said, I seek my brethren, tell me, I pray thee, where they, uh, they feed their flocks. And the man said, They all departed uh, hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dotham. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dotham. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. These weren't just some good old boys here. Uh, you know, they, they were mischievous and played a couple of pranks. We're talking about that they, 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 they wanted to dispose of him, but they were going to kill him. All right? And uh, the plan they came up with, you know, uh, uh, the ingenious plan they came up with, why don't we throw him into a, a well, hopefully he'll break his neck, and then we won't have to deal with him anymore. And then we'll just get creative to take, you know, report back to dad as to how he died. Using his coat and some, some blood. One of the older brothers, I thought, you know, that even for us, this is a little extreme. <laughs> so maybe we should, you know, maybe we shouldn't kill him. We'll just leave him down there. And, uh, and so what they ended up doing, a slave train, a train came through. Uh, and, and they sold him to the slave train instead. So they didn't kill him, but they sold him as a slave. And uh, we pick it up there towards, uh, towards the end. It says in verse 28, Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brother and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of, uh, uh, of the goats, dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of uh, the many colors, and they brought it to the father, and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. And he knew it, and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. And Joseph is, uh, without doubt, rent in pieces. And so they just let him go down that path of believing what uh, they knew he would believe at that point. Very disingenuous of them. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And they were, they were willing just to see their dad go through that grief. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him unto Egypt, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. Now, what I want you to think of, and just try to put yourself in, in, in Joseph's situation here. And I think it would, be, it would play out the same for any human being. If you were alive and you were able to still think through things, you, 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 were, uh, uh, um, you were awake, you were conscious. If you were taken and thrown in, in, in a pit by some family members, Evidently, just left there to, to die. It was a dry well or something along those lines, so there's no water down there. There's no food. He's just thrown down there, discarded. You'd be, you'd be thinking a lot of thoughts. 
You'd be pondering a lot of things. Your mind would be swirling. Once you adjusted to the shock of it, your mind would be going a lot of different directions. Now, on top of that, think about being taken out of there and maybe thinking, oh, you know, they're going to take me out. Maybe I'll be okay after all. And you're sold to total strangers to travel 200 miles as a slave to a future that you had no clue what was going to happen. Now, you, you think about that and think about the time that Joseph had to think things over. Now, we'll come back to that thought at the end of the message. But in the meantime, let's just make a few points here. Point number one, being favored by others doesn't always do us good. Now, here's the thing. We all like to be favored. And we all kind of maneuver to get that position of being favored. That's what we do as human beings many times, right? We maneuver to be seen in the best light, to get a privileged position so we can get the most benefit that we can out of it, right? Isn't that what we tend to do? But that, does that always do us good? Was that necessarily doing Joseph good? Or did Joseph maybe become a bit stuck on himself? Did, did Joseph learn as the center of, of attention to talk too much? Did Joseph maybe close doors of relationship and friendship instead of opening those up? Second point. Being rejected by others is not always the worst thing for us. Now, we would think that would be the worst thing for us. And at the time, I'll tell you what, it feels like the worst thing. <laughs> we're created for relationships. You know why we're created for relationships? Because ultimately, we're created for a relationship with God. And the most, per the most important relationship we can ever come to, the relationship we're supposed to arrive at, is a relationship with God. And so, in a sense, all other relationships are supposed to work towards that relationship. Sometimes God knows that some earthly relationships need to be hindered in order for us to see him as the primary relationship. Does that make sense? And so is it always bad for us when we're rejected by others? Now it feels like it is, and it's wrong of them to do that, but here's the thing. When we're rejected by others, it may lead us to consider our attitude and our spirit. Wow, that was hard. <laughs> what was my attitude and spirit towards them? And if it was right, what is my attitude and spirit right now? I'm kind of left to myself here to ponder these things. Being rejected by others may help us see our own shortcomings. It may help us to see, you know, maybe where we had some failures that led to, to contribute to that. Now, sometimes wicked people try to make us feel guilty for, for their actions when we didn't, we didn't do anything. You know, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard of people manipulating others and, and just putting guilt tactics on them that you, you were the, per, the reason why I had to treat you that way. No, you treated somebody wrongfully because of your heart. Don't ever blame it on that other person. But on the other hand, you know, sometimes when we go through times of, of, of in relationships like that, maybe we need to be introspective as well. How could I be more Christ-like in future opportunities? And so being rejected of others may do that and it may lead us to see what is really important. Because I don't have all those things that I'm used to clinging to. I don't have that comfort zone anymore that I'm used to being, you know, that, that I'm drawing from. And I have to think here, you know, in this life, what is ultimately the most important thing for me? 
And maybe I'm being distracted from the most important thing by other lesser important things. And then maybe, maybe, and this is, I think, the most important point under this, maybe it gives us the opportunity to trust in God in God alone. To trust in God in God alone. And when Joseph was rejected by his own family, I think he was put in a position there to say, you know, is God so trustworthy? <laughs> Can I, at this point, I have nothing else to trust. Can I trust God? And just part of that process was bringing him to that realization and that decision. First point then was being favored by others does not always do us good. Secondly, being rejected by others is not always bad for us. Thirdly, Living a life of ease is not necessarily the best for us. Living a life of ease is not necessarily the best for us. Now look, I'm just like any other parent. I don't like to see my, my, my family go through hardship. But is ease always the best? You know, the Bible even says to, to, to young people, you know, it's good for you to bear the yoke in your youth. It's good for you to, 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 to have to chafe at a yoke a bit. To have to learn to work hard, to learn about sweat, to learn about tears, to learn about a little loss of blood here and there. Those are good things. But we tend to look at them as bad things and we want to protect by any measure and by any means of any of those hardships ever coming. But is that really what is best? Did Jacob's father really do any favors to Joseph at this point by letting him have such a life of ease? Is that really what was best for him? Living a life of ease does not necessarily do us good. There's a great danger of it breeding self-centeredness. There's a great danger of it breeding laziness. There's a great danger of it producing purposelessness. And there's a great danger of it producing an unskilled life. Because, you know, remember the, uh, maybe you've seen in the movies where they had, you know, the very aristocratic uh, families that had, you know, fortunes and they never had to work a day in their life? What they had to do? They had to get everyone else to work for them all the time. And if that was ever gone and they were put in a situation where they had to work to survive, they'd last about a day and a half. Because they were soft. Right? They couldn't work. They had no skills at that point. Maybe, maybe hunting a fox. Uh, or maybe, uh, you know, maybe putting on a ball and doing some sort of dance. That was about the, the, the extent of the skill. A life of privilege does not always do us good. And it is possible that it leads us to the point where, where we have been done a disservice. And, uh, you know, <laughs> God probably knew, you know, Joseph at this point, he has to be honed a little bit by this pit. He has to be honed by this, this grueling journey. He has to be honed if he's going to stand up to the challenges that are, that are ahead of him. He's going to be honed in a way that maybe his dad hadn't done to that point. And maybe I'm misjudging his dad. I don't know all the details. But I'm just thinking about these things a little bit. Then fourthly, living a life of hardship is not always bad for us. It is possible that living a life of hardship will lead us to trust God more. I'm in these difficult situations. God, would you help me with this? I'm meeting this challenge right now, and I don't know exactly how to do this or get this done or build this or find this. Lord, would you help me with this? Lord, will you help me take this next step because it's really difficult right now and I can't figure it out. And those are good times, not bad times. Those are really good times. It's possible that living a life of hardship 
makes us more grateful. Because we had to work in order to eat. Because when things are accomplished by God's grace and God's assistance, we're grateful for that. We didn't say, well, it's just another thing that I did because I'm good and you know, I'm skillful. No, we, we're looking to God. We're, we're, we're crying out to God. And when he blesses, we're grateful for that. And it's, a, it's possible that living a life of, of hardship makes us think about more about others as well. You know, when we live a life of ease, what does that do? That makes us probably, the propensity is that we just think more and more about ourselves. We just think more and more about ourselves. But when we go through hardship, sometimes that makes us identify with others in hardship more too. You know who the best counselor in certain situations is for somebody who's been through hurt or, or abuse or rejection? is someone else who's been through some of that themselves. Been through some of those hardships. Now we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to wish that on anybody. We wouldn't orchestrate that. But it's God's prerogative to allow those things to purge us and to prepare us for His service. And so it is possible that living a life of hardship leads us to growth. It leads us to growth. We're strengthened uh, through it. Now, that brings us to these conclusions. What do you reckon went on in Joseph's mind and heart while he was in that pit and while he was on that journey? You know what I think our greatest clues are to that? Is how he lived his life after that. Because all of us would be faced at that point of a decision whether we were going to allow that to, as, as, as we hear said so many times, make us better or make us bitter. He could have easily become a bitter man. Just a bitter man that whatever after that was just all about getting what he was due and getting back what he had lost by whatever measures for himself. But instead, it didn't seem to happen to Joseph. You know, there's something about his thought process through that that, that he didn't come out a bitter man. And, 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 and I, I think I can see very clearly that he actually be, became a better man than what he'd been before. He became a better man. So on that long trek of 200 miles, on that long trek, I think we had some dramatic things going on in Joseph's, because we're just given the black and white of, you know, he went from this point to that point and he was sold to this guy. I mean, but you got to think about it. I mean, what are the implications of that? What was that like? What did he have to process through that? Sure, he answered questions like, how am I going to respond to this rejection, this hurt and betrayal? I didn't have a choice for that to happen, but I have a choice as to how to respond to it. How am I going to handle these present difficulties? Now, I wouldn't have chosen them to be like this, but they're going on. How am I going to respond to them? What is my attitude towards God going to be from this point forward? Am I going to be angry at God because of what He allowed for it to happen there? Am I going to be angry at God for allowing these people to mistreat me? Am I going to be angry at God because I didn't deserve to be sold as a slave here? Am I going to be perpetually an angry person in my life, destroying first and foremost myself? I think Joseph had to, he had to process those things. I mean, he was a human being. He was alive. He was, he was functioning. <laughs> and I don't think we're reading anything into it. What is my attitude going to be towards God going forward? Can I still trust him when trust has been broken? Am I going to focus on myself or God's will? What is my heart going to be towards others now? I've been betrayed. I've been let down. 
I don't feel like helping anybody the whole rest of my life. What is my attitude going to be? I've got to make some choices here. What are my values going to be going forward? Am I going to respond properly to authorities now in my life? What is my attitude going to be towards authority? Because Joseph was in some challenging situations as far as authority goes from this point on. He had to keep the right heart towards authority while always seeking to obey God's first. And he becomes a great, a great example of that balance to us. But yet, what happened to the pampered boy is he had to go through that pit of breaking in that journey that took him to a place of surrender. And when he responded properly to what God was doing through that pit of breaking, he moved forward as an example in the Bible of victorious faith. Of victorious faith. He could have very easily been a defeated man the whole rest of his life. But instead, he drew upon God to be victorious. And after that pit and after that trek, we never see Joseph not seeking to do right before God. We never see him again in apparent self-centeredness. A man said he was loved and hated, favored and abused, tempted and trusted, exalted and abased. Yet at no point in the following years of Joseph's life did he ever seem to get his eyes off God or cease to trust him. Adversity did not harden his character. Prosperity did not ruin him. He was the same in private as in public. He was truly a great man. Why? Because he responded properly to God's purging in his life. Rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistake. He knoweth the end of each path that I take. The pit brought him to humility and brokenness and surrender. And so I ask you the question, was the pit good or bad? Was the pit good or bad? Well, Genesis 50 answers the question for it, and we'll end with this verse. Turn there again. This will be sort of the theme verse that we'll keep going back to. We'll end with it this morning as, as I trust God has worked in our hearts. But Genesis chapter 50 and it comes that time many years later, and we're going to work our way towards this time through this series in jo of Joseph. And we're going to, we're going to get to, to in, in context, in the narrative, we're going to get to this point. But I keep drawing you back to this truth because it's really the center truth. And, and there comes a time later where his, his, his brothers are back with him. <laughs> and he has an opportunity there to be vindictive and to you know, set them uh, uh, straight with their just punishment. But it says in verse 18, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. Look at this phrase. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought it evil against me. You thought the pit to be evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. God had a much bigger perspective of what Joseph's life was going to be than that pampered boy in that house up to the time he was 17 years old. Let's pray.